Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Today, we're going to open up to Luke chapter 2, and um, actually Luke chapter 1, and we're going to kind of hang out here for a minute. It's going to take a while because I'm going to set you up. It's going to take us a while to actually get to the song that we're going to get to today. But uh, just kind of want to throw this out there. By the way, while Jeffrey was giving the announcements, I couldn't help but go out and get a ho-ho. So if I'm a little slow right now, I got, I got some chocolate at the roof of my mouth right now. Probably not a great idea to eat a ho-ho before you get up to preach, but I went and did that. And so, uh, so if I'm choking, just know you know what's going on, okay? Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, but um, I don't know if you know this or not, but before Christmas was ever about a pregnant couple, it was actually first about a couple who couldn't get pregnant. Um, the, before there was a Mary before there was a Joseph, before there was the Virgin Mary and Joseph, um, there was actually another couple by the name of Zachariah, and his wife was barren, and her name was Elizabeth. And so Dr. Luke, who writes the book of Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, starts the birth narratives of Christ off, not with Mary and Joseph, but with a couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth. So let me tell you a little bit about that because today's song is sung by a father named Zechariah. The story begins with Zechariah, who is a priest who has dedicated his entire life to ministry. His wife, Elizabeth, had come from a long line, generations of men who had served as priests as well. So we could say that Elizabeth was both a pastor's wife and a pastor's kid. Now, listen to kind of how Luke describes both Zachariah and Elizabeth together as a couple. He says this in Luke 1 verse 6. He says, they were righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, I just want to kind of pause there because if anyone ever describes me as righteous and blameless, I'd be freaked out of my mind. Like Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God himself is writing this through Luke, is describing this couple as blameless and righteous. That's about as good as it gets. Uh, but there's actually something wrong with this couple. Verse 7 tells us they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So let's just kind of slow down for a second. Um, I want to take a moment to point out a very real tension that exists between being blameless yet being barren. You see, there's no doubt in my mind that there are some of us in this room this morning that understand the pain of infertility. There's a real private pain with a couple that's trying to have a baby that comes with that. And I think there are some of you in here that understand that well. And I do not want to minimize that pain, but I do want to bring you into the ancient Mideast, 
where infertility, the burden of infertility in the ancient Mideast versus the way it is now was a much different burden to carry. Let me, let me explain this to you. To be infertile in the ancient Mideast meant that you had no legacy, no child to carry on the family name. But it just didn't mean no legacy, but it also meant no security. You see, today we have retirement plans, don't we? We have 401ks, at least some of us do. We have social security. I don't know how dependable that can be, but we have those items. But in the ancient Mideast in those days, your children were your retirement. And so to have no children meant that as you got old and moved beyond working age, you actually had no security that anybody would actually take care of you as you grew old. No legacy, no security. And this is actually probably the biggest factor that I want to zero in today. Um, Actually, it also meant no favor with God. Let me explain that. Again, today, when a couple is maybe wrestling through the frustrations of infertility, um, people come alongside them, amen? The church comes alongside, prays with them, encourages them. Even the culture as a whole will come alongside and encourage this couple that's really going through this private battle. But in the ancient Mideast, infertility was actually a sign of God's displeasure with your life. So, If you think about it, this is how that first Christmas began. It began with a sweet, faithful, elderly couple who had spent their entire lives doing everything right with nothing to show for it. Have you ever experienced that tension yourself? Um, Longing and waiting on God to intervene on your behalf. I I wonder... I wonder if there's anybody in this room right now that you have been praying for something for so long that you almost feel like it's not worth praying about anymore. Have you ever felt that tension, longing and waiting on God to intervene on your behalf, faithfully committed to him, yet fearfully feeling that he'll never come through? This is part of the Christmas story. This this is Advent. It's not the extravagant lights of Christmas. It's not Christmas in the park. It's not the fun selection of new holiday lattes at Starbucks. But Christmas is about sitting in the darkness, trying to hold on to hope, waiting on God to show up while fighting the temptation to give in. And when we paint Christmas to be something other than what it is, we paint a false narrative. And I, I just actually, I want to make an honest observation here. Um, I think we create Christmas chaos on purpose. And you know what's really crazy is we all complain about it. But I actually think we want it. We need it. The busyness of the holidays. Um, why would I say that? I think Christmas chaos keeps us from slowing down and being confronted by our own darkness. And so we decorate with lights externally and we do all of these think holiday parties. And don't get me wrong, these are all amazing. I'm not saying these are wrong. But I always hear, man, Christmas is such a busy time, such a busy time. And I, but, I be, but yet I feel like we do it on purpose because God forbid we stop, we slow down and internally reflect on what's really going on. 
So, so we become excessive, don't we? Um, we overbuy. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> Some of the husbands didn't say anything, but they're like. Uh, we overbuy. We overparty. We overdecorate. We visit every Christmas in the park from here to San Jose and back. And it robs us from being still and honestly reflecting on the coming of the true Messiah. The only one who could satisfy me in the ways that all these other false messiahs can't. And so I guess I have a challenge for you. Slow down this Christmas. Slow down. And we're actually doing something special. Uh, every week after the message, we'll post the podcast, but on Inspired Church's website, we'll post a devotion. And it's just basically recapping the message and giving you two questions to slow down and reflect on during the week. And so if you haven't done that yet, I encourage you this week, I challenge you, find time in your schedule to slow down and think about what Christmas really means. Now, I love this next part about Zachariah's story. Now, remember, he is blameless, he's righteous, but yet childless, and Elizabeth is barren. But I love this next part of Zachariah's story. Luke chapter 1, verse 8 says this, Now, and I just want to pause on this quick little phrase. It says, Now, while he was serving. That's so incredible to me. Because here he is, still faithful, still honorable, still loving God, still ministering to him. Zachariah and Elizabeth are goals, amen? Zachariah and Elizabeth are goals. I, you know, I, we hashtag goals, right? We see a beautiful couple on Instagram because they look good, they're goals. But you, got no, you have no idea what's going on in the heart. And so there's a generation of goals, goals, goals. Look at you, goals. This is what goals is, to be faithfully serving God, to be incredibly devoted to him, even when you haven't gotten what you wanted. They are goals. Even when God has not given to them what they want, they never stopped honoring him. You want to know why? Because they knew, they both knew he was still worthy of their worship. I have a prayer for Inspire Church. My prayer is this, Lord, send more Zacharias and Elizabeths to our church. Why? We need more Zachariah and Elizabeths to model and teach a generation what it looks like to remain faithful, even in the midst of disappointment. I have hope for my 20s and 30s, but we need to really sit at the feet of the 50s and 60s that have served the Lord and know what it's like to be faithful even when things aren't going our way. In fact, can I challenge you this Christmas? Do yourself a favor. If you're under 45, find yourself a Zachariah and Elizabeth. Sit at their feet, humble yourself, and learn from them. Verse 8 tells us that while he was serving, several supernatural things occur. And I don't have time to read it all because I want to get to the song but several supernatural things begin to occur while Zechariah is serving. So the story goes that Zechariah is a priest and he's in a division of priests. And it just so happens that this is the time of the year where his division is going to the temple and it is their turn to rotate and serve and minister in the temple. And what happened was, is they cast lot 
okay? And what does it mean to cast lot? It was their way of believing that God was sovereignly choosing who would go in that day because only one priest could actually go into the temple and give incense before the Lord. And the lot actually is casted and it lands on Zechariah. And so we have here his division serving during that time and Zechariah being selected to enter the, the temple alone to burn the incense. Next, when entering the temple, scripture tells us that an angel named Gabriel appears to him and gives him unbelievable news. Can you guess what he's going to tell him? You're going to have a baby. Talk about a gender reveal right there. Right? Like that. I mean, you know, some people have some cool gender reveals, but Gabriel from the presence of God showing up telling you you're going to have a baby boy. All right. Have you ever seen gender reveal fails, by the way? Those are hilarious. Okay. I want to go off on a tangent here, but I got to stick to time. The angel appears to him, gives him unbelievable news, tells him you're going to have a son. And guess what happened? Zechariah is so filled with unbelief in that moment. He's just shocked and it's unbelievable and I don't blame him. And immediately, you know what he thinks about? Gosh, my wife is real old and she is barren. We have not been able to have a child because she is barren. So you know what the angel does? He says, oh man, it's okay. (laughs) No, the angel rebukes him. And listen to what the angel says in chapter one, verse 20. He says this, you will be silent. (laughs) You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you do not believe my words, words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So poor Zechariah, blameless and righteous and barren all their lives, no child, finally serving and ministering in the temple. Uh, An angel appears to him, tells him he's going to have a baby. The poor guy has just a little bit of unbelief and rightfully so. And he is silenced immediately by the angel and he's told to shut up. Scholars believe that he doesn't talk or hear for nine months. He doesn't talk or hear for nine months. But can I tell you, part of this rebuke is actually a gracious mercy of God in it. Let me just say this. If Zachariah couldn't believe it, he believed it now. The moment he realized he couldn't talk, it confirmed that a miracle was going to happen. So that's kind of the setup. Um, Zachariah for nine months couldn't hear, couldn't speak. But here it is. When Elizabeth gives birth... And it came time to name the child. Zachariah's silence is broken, and it's broken with this song. He sings. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll go to Luke chapter 1, verse 69 through 79. We'll also have it up here on you, on the screens for you. Again, nine months, can't hear, can't speak, finally has his baby boy. And when it comes time to name him, He bursts forth in a song. Chapter 1, verse 69 reads like this. Blessed, this is him now. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember 
the holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him all our days. And I love this. And he says, and you, child, this is like a Simba moment. Y'all know Simba, right? I did that with my son. We dedicated my son. And I remember I grabbed him and I was like, yeah. This is a Simba moment. He says all of those things. And then he, he picks up his baby. And I imagine he, I don't, the Bible doesn't say he did this. But I imagine he does this. And he says, you and you, child, will be called the prophet of the most high. How powerful it is for a father to speak into his child's life. Imagine that. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the most high, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to get knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. That's a song. In fact, it's one long run-on sentence. (laughs) But hear me out. Inspired by the Holy Spirit and birthed out of nine months of silent reflection, Zechariah sings a prophetic song praising God. Are you ready? For his redemptive visitation. Now, Back to Christmas. Christmas is about fulfillment. It's about God always doing what he said he would do. Christmas is about silencing the doubts and putting to bed all the fears. It's about God's redemptive visitation finally arriving after hundreds upon hundreds of years of a nation praying and wondering if it would ever actually take place. And who better to sing this song than Zechariah? The man who had once been silenced because of his doubts was now bursting forth in praise because of God's faithfulness. Now, I found it really interesting as I was studying the text and I was trying to bridge this gap. And it was difficult for me because I felt like the first moment Zechariah sings, he doesn't sing about this blessing of this baby. I don't know if you noticed that I set it all up to tell you he was blameless, he was righteous, yet they were barren and they had spent their whole lives ministering with nothing to show for it. They get a baby, he goes silent for nine months, and you would think that he would burst out in praise, thanking God for what he's done in his own life. But Zechariah doesn't burst forth in praise for himself, but initially, if you look at the, the song, he speaks a praise about something else that is about to take place. You see... I think that it went like this. During his nine months of silence, he saw a connection between his situation and Israel's. I believe he thought his physical state reflected the spiritual state of Israel. You see, like him, Israel was faithful yet barren. So this miraculous birth of his own son only foreshadowed another miraculous birth of God's son that was soon to take place. So for the rest of our time together, and I appreciate it, you're cruising well with me, for the rest of our time together, we're gonna reflect on these two elements inside of Zechariah's song. Number one, redemptive visitation. And number two, the nature of that visitation. 
So number one, we're going to talk about what is redemptive visitation. And then number two, we're going to talk about what is the nature of that visitation according to Zechariah's song. Amen? So do me a favor. If you have your Bibles and if you're, you like to take notes or you, you like to highlight or circle, um, and we have it for you here too in red, um, if you can, and some of you I know you don't like to write in your Bibles, totally okay, but circle or underline visited and redeemed visited and redeemed, the line that starts with visited and redeemed. And we should have it for you right here. It should be in verse 69, visited and redeemed. And let me explain to you why that opening line or those two words are so important. You could even write next to it if you want. That's the meaning of Christmas. If you're ever wondering what, what does Christmas mean, it's encapsulated in those two words, visited and redeemed with just two words, Zechariah defines Christmas. Now, let me give you a little Christmas theology, all right? Just a quick little theology lesson. We're gonna break down each word, visit and redeemed. And we're gonna call it just a redemptive visitation. So what does that mean? Well, first let's look at visitation. Visitation is incarnation. Visitation is incarnation. And if you really wanna, any Latinos in here? A few of you, you think of carne asada, and we've said this before, carne incarnate means to put meat on. So that's what Jesus did. Like he incarnate, not reincarnated. We don't believe in reincarnation, but he was incarnate. In other words, this is Jesus put on flesh. He put on carne asada, amen? Okay, not asada, but carne. Visitation is incarnation. Incarnation is God himself in Jesus Christ, stepping down from heaven, leaving his glory behind to put on flesh and dwell among us. In fact, John and his gospel in John chapter one, he would say that Jesus stepped down from glory, put on flesh, incarnate, put on uh, uh, carne, put meat on, and he would say he dwelled among us. The Greek translation for dwelled among us is actually pitch a tent among us. That Jesus came in and he camped right where we were. That is incarnation, visitation, incarnation. Now, the second thing is redemption. To redeem is to buy back. I know a few weeks ago, Pastor Roger shared that in our Roman series. Let me explain what redemption is. You see, when mankind fell into sin, we sold God out, but we also sold ourselves into slavery. We submitted to lesser masters, and as a result became deserving of God's wrath. Now, only the blood of Jesus has the power to buy us back, set us free from our sin and save us from God's wrath. Now, can I just make a comment? Unfortunately, our world is okay with visitation, but they're offended by redemption. You see, they're fine as long as the story remains about a baby, a barn, and some fuzzy animals. Even then, they're a little offended. They could be a little offended. But the reality is, is as long as you keep it to a cute story about visitation, most people can stomach it. And I, I'm a little... And I don't like to put churches down because we are a church, but I'm a little upset and offended myself because a lot of churches, unfortunately, keep it about visitation during Christmas. And there are a lot of Christians, you keep it about visitation. 
But it's not Christmas unless it's a redemptive visitation. I want you to know this. There is no power in the nativity seen by itself. There's no power in the nativity scene. Can I, can I just say, Jesus was born isn't good enough. Jesus was born to die for the sins of this world. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. And hear me out. A Christmas story with no redemption story is not a story we're celebrating. What are we celebrating for? A Christmas story with no redemption story is not a story worth celebrating. Parents, do me a favor. During Christmas, whenever you tell your children about the nativity, make sure you include the cross. Because a Christmas story with no redemption story is a story not worth celebrating at all. So now that we know the meaning of the redemptive visitation, what is the nature of this redemptive visitation? Well, Zechariah gives us three very important observations regarding this visitation. And I'll give them to you ahead of time, and then we'll jump into each. Number one, Zechariah says in his song that this visitation was predicted by prophets. Number two, he says that this redemptive visitation was promised to fathers. And I love number three, Zechariah is super excited because he says not only is this visitation predicted by prophets and promised by fathers, but it will be prepared by my own son, John the Baptist. So let's talk about that really quickly, predicted by prophets. In verse 70, he sings, God's redemptive, redemptive visitation was predicted by prophets, men filled by the Holy Spirit, speaking hundreds of years before, declared this unique visitation. Isaiah 7:14. the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel. Micah 5, 2, but you Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, who, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Isaiah 53, 5, but he, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Zechariah says this redemptive visitation that you're celebrating on Christmas morning was actually predicted thousands of years ago. Some scholars believe that there are as many as 300 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Secondly, in verse 72, he, said, he tells us, he sings, God's redemptive visitation was promised to fathers. Again, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, God placed himself into covenant with men and swore by himself because there was nobody else to swear by. You ever said swear to God? Don't do it. But God swears to himself because there's no one else to swear by. There's nobody higher and God says, I will put myself into covenant with men and swear by myself that I will keep my promise to men. I love this. God keeps his promises. Scripture tells us in Jeremiah that God watches over his word to make sure that everything that he says is fulfilled. Can you imagine that? And as humans, we lie, but God is not a man that would lie. Think about it. God has to be careful. And that's kind of weird even saying that because why would God have to be careful? But everything that he speaks because he is so true, so good, and so righteous comes to pass. Some of y'all speak too much. 
But when God speaks, his words are then put into the history and he watches over his words, making sure that everything he says comes to pass because God is not a man that he should lie. He's not frivolous with his words. Every word means something when you are God. And so God makes promises and covenants with men. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he promises Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. In Genesis 17, 19, he says this about Isaac concerning Isaac, which is Abraham's son. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant and for his descendants after him. In 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, he promises King David, I'm gonna have the team come up. When your days are over and your rest, and you rest with your ancestors, this is him promising to David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build the house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Hear me out real quick. In both Zechariah's points, predicted and promised, we learn a critical lesson regarding Christ and the Old Testament. Let me tell you a lesson regarding Christ in the Old Testament. And, you, and this could be something you write down or you catch later, but here it is. As Christians, we will not be able to understand Jesus without the Old Testament, and we will not be able to understand the Old Testament without Jesus. Yeah. He's the key that unlocks it. As Christians, we will not be able to understand the Old Testament without Jesus, and we will not be able to understand Jesus without the Old Testament. Predicted by prophets, promised to fathers. Finally, number three, verse 76 through 79, God's redemptive visitation. I can imagine Zechariah being so excited to say this. Will be prepared by my own baby boy, John the Baptist. My son will prepare the way for the Lord. Like an emissary sent before the king to prepare for his arrival, John, his son, would go before Jesus with one very important objective, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. As I stand here, replaying the echoes of the angel Gabriel my heart finally stable disbelief has been flipped ripped removed replaced with the belief bigger than I can even imagine imagine for a minute sit here with me in this moment as I can't speak no literally I can't speak pause slow down Slow down. Everything has slowed down. Like still waters resting in sunrise. My mind tried to comprehend my life's beginning to the end. But who can determine the plans of the Lord? Only the creator of men. In my discipline, I am consumed with this anticipation of the Almighty One, the King whose splendor, majesty, and magnificence I walk, rise, and sleep with. So even when I rest, I am still in your presence. And now the same present shall be gifted unto us, 
the gift that will present a deliverance for this world, salvation, the literal demonstration of God's love, his word given to the prophets who have predicted and depicted the virgin would conceive and give birth to the son that they will call Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah 7, 14. Picture that, his righteousness and faithfulness in the flesh Pierce for our transgressions, crush for our iniquities, the one to bring deliverance, Isaiah 53, 5. He is the perfect sacrifice, the prophesied provider, the just divider, the one who will come by sea, the one from Galilee who will bring a great ministry, blind eyes open, healing for the broken, truth with every word spoken. You visited and redeemed. But this is far beyond me, far beyond my wife's pregnancy. You've not only answered my prayers, but the prayers of your people. We've fallen short and into sin, but you've remained determined like the shepherd after the one of the flock. You are my rock. So here I stand in faith that the voice of an angel removed storm-like clouds from my vision and replaced with tunnel-precise gospel mission. Bigger than me, I'm starting to see that there is hope, joy, and victory growing inside of my wife. Who could promise life in the midst of death? Only God the creator who is ruler, redeemer, restorer, protector, provider, sustainer, supplier, sanctifier of men. Now then, like a season after season, a moment after moment, a minute after a minute, existing out of time, his promises always remind that he is God, the God of his word, and will do always what he says he will do amazing my soul shouts accompanied by a thousand angels my inner being speaks from the depth of my soul praising the one who makes me whole his promises oh his promises for this gift that is given once dead to a vision now I'm alive in his mission give me a tablet someone run and give me a tablet I need to write his name down J O H uh, see someone give me a tablet someone give me a tablet I need to write his name down for the Lord has gifted me with a child a son my redeemer my confidence my faith my soul my core the one who I adore my rock my joy Lord thank you for this boy I shall call him J O H and, and just then my lips were opened and you child shall be called prophet of the most high. You will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet back to peace. Praise be to the Lord God Almighty. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.